So Friday, there were a few of us that were able to meet our representatives from the Texas Annual Conference, and they came and stayed for a very short time <laughs> and presented us with this certificate that says 2022 Church of the Year, Central North District, small membership. Lenora Countryside UMC it says nominated by District Superintendent Dr. Jeff Olive small membership churches are defined by having less than an average worship attendance of a hundred and a hundred percent apportionment payout this is a uh, yeah go ahead and applaud because you're applauding what God has done and I have to say it, what you have done to honor and glorify your God. There are many things that contributed to this. Um, I, I, as I was discussing with Brenda, we're, we're just glad that they read our reports. <laughs> but there is so much that this little church does for this community and to have it recognized by the community, first of all, and then by uh, the denomination, the conference, uh, is well it's something that you all should take great uh, pride in uh, boasting about what God has done and so I'm going to leave this up here um, if you didn't get a look at it on our Facebook page you can come look at it in person it's really quite lovely that they have framed it for us and uh, I'm just so pleased with all of you for making that possible so, first Sunday in Lent, what does that mean to us? There's so many things uh, that this Lenten journey will bring to you if you allow it the time and uh, have the uh, wherewithal to dive into it with both feet. You can spend this, uh, and many denominations do, they go through the Lenten season and and. The word Lent doesn't even, it's not even in their vocabulary. And then all of a sudden Easter's there and they're celebrating. And, and honestly, this is just my opinion, mind you. How do they know what they're celebrating? Yes, it's the resurrection of Christ. But, but why did he die in the first place? If we don't go through the Lenten journey with him, we don't even know why we need a Savior we don't even know uh, that we have a share in his resurrection. We don't know any of that without the journey that Christ took to get to the cross for us. And so our message this morning is from the gospel according to Luke. It's the 13th chapter. It's not the passage that Bobby read, but it's one of those passages of scripture that simply must be read and understood within the larger context of the chapter. And in this part of Luke's gospel, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. And on the way, he's preaching and teaching in the towns and the villages. And he's explaining to all who have ears to hear the way to reach God. It, it, wouldn't that be useful information? So if you have your Bible and you open it to Luke 13, 
and, and follow along as I read from, uh, in this case, the message version. I'm beginning in verse 18 where Luke writes, Then Jesus said, How can I picture God's kingdom for you? What kind of story can I use? It's like a pine nut that a man plants in his front yard. It grows into a huge pine tree with thick branches and eagles build nests in it. See, Jesus is saying that from the small, unassuming seed of truth, a much greater increase is produced. The, the kingdom of God starts with a tiny seed planted within each believer. And that tiny seed grows into a big, strong tree of faith capable of sustaining and supporting many others who will see it and flock to it just like birds and make their home in it because of the safety and satisfaction that it offers. And so when it appeared to Jesus that not everyone understood his parable of the pine nut, Luke says that he tried again. How can I picture God's kingdom? It's like yeast that a woman works into enough dough for three loaves of bread and waits while the dough rises. See, the, the people were expecting that the kingdom of God would come from without by some external force and establish itself like earthly kingdoms do through violence and conquest. See, but Jesus was telling them that the kingdom of God would come from within. Establishing itself silently, growing little by little like yeast, leavening the dough, changing it from the inside out. A, a little yeast, a, a little truth going a long way and eventually leavening the whole loaf. And so Luke continues in verse 22. Jesus went on teaching from town to village, village to town, but keeping on a steady course toward Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus was an itinerant preacher at this point. Uh, I take it to mean that he was a Methodist, but that's just my personal bias. In truth, we see the emphasis here was that Jesus was on a mission. As it says, on a steady course to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the city where he would eventually be received as Messiah. You know the story, riding in triumphantly on a donkey, palm branches laid out before him. Jerusalem, the city where he would then be rejected, unjustly tried, convicted, humiliated, crucified, dying on the cross for us. Jerusalem, where he would be entombed. And then three days later, blocks the stone door away and emerge victorious, risen from the dead. Jerusalem, the city that will one day be transformed into the seat of power for Christ's reign as king over all the earth when he returns in his glory with all the saints. Jerusalem is a significant city even today. Wars will be fought, have been fought will be fought for the city of Jerusalem. 
go back to our passage in Luke verse 23, a bystander said, Master, will only a few be saved? He said, whether few or many is none of your business. That's an interesting answer. Put your mind on your life with God. The way to life to God is vigorous and requires your whole attention. A lot of you are going to assume that you'll sit down to God's salvation banquet just because you've been hanging around the neighborhood all your lives. Well, one day you're going to be banging on the door wanting to get in, but you'll find the door locked and the master saying, sorry, you're not on my guest list. You'll protest, but we've known you all our lives only to be interrupted with his abrupt your kind of knowing can hardly be called knowing. You don't know the first thing about me. That's when you'll find yourselves out in the cold, strangers to grace. You'll watch Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets march into God's kingdom. You'll watch outsiders stream in from east, west, north, and south and sit down at the table of God's kingdom. And all the time you'll be outside looking in and wondering what happened. This is the great reversal, the last in line put at the head of the line, and the so-called first ending up last. No version of that passage of Scripture puts it quite that way. It's quite an eye-opener, isn't it? We shouldn't spend time worrying about whether the Baptists across the street have it right or wrong with their full immersion baptism or whether there's pre-selection of the saved like our Calvinist brothers, sisters claim. Countless other ways that we divide and segment ourselves as Christians. Now Jesus tells us that we should put our mind on our own life with God. We have to pay attention to what God is telling us in His Word and apply it in our own lives. See, Jesus is telling us that getting through the narrow gate that leads to eternal life with Him is rigorous. It requires discipline. It requires that we stay focused on who Jesus is and who we are in Him. It's not enough just to go through the motions. It's not enough to sit in the pew on Sunday and act like a Christian if your heart's not in it. It's not enough to profess to be a Christian on Sunday and then act like something else entirely the rest of the week. Now, I have searched over and over for many illustrations of this, and, and I keep coming back to this one. So if you've heard it before, forgive me, but it better than any other that I have come across illustrates this principle that Luke is trying to convey to us from our master Jesus. It's a story about a deacon in a large church, Methodist church in New Hampshire. His name is Deacon Estes. Now, whether that's his real name or whether this story is, is taken from the life of a real deacon, I don't know. Deacon Estes was a likable man who had spent much of his adult life in a church. He attended regularly on Sunday. He arrived early enough each week to spend time around the coffee bar with his friends. It's got to be a big church because they have a coffee bar. 
He liked to talk with his friends about the big game. He liked to make plans for a golf outing or a fishing trip. He liked going to church. It was a great place to see his friends, to make business connections, and it filled some of the time that he used to spend with his late wife. As the hour approached for church to begin, he'd put on his deacon's badge and he'd take his place at the door to the sanctuary, passing out bulletins and shaking hands. And when the music started, he would dutifully close the doors to the sanctuary and take his usual spot, third row down on the right-hand side. Nobody ever took Deacon Estes' spot. Everyone knew that's where he always sat. And as the pastor preached, Deacon Estes would routinely look at his watch, think about the game schedule, recall who was playing whom, what their ranking was, and what the time of the kickoff would be. He knew that if the pastor said the final amen of the sermon at 11.40, he'd have plenty of time to make his way home to see the pregame show. And on Sunday, one Sunday in particular, the pastor was a bit long-winded. That never happens here, does it? <laughs> at, as 11.40 came and went, the pastor didn't appear to be wrapping up the sermon at all, but instead started talking about Jesus being your personal Savior. Personal Savior, Deacon Estes thought to himself. What does he mean by that? Isn't he everybody's Savior? As 11.45 ticked by on Deacon Estes' watch, the pastor began to invite people to the rail to pray and to accept Jesus. For crying out loud, Deacon Estes thought, people are actually going to the rail. This could go on a while. By the time 11.55 ticked by, Deacon Estes had had enough. He quietly got up, made his way to the back of the church, dropped his deacon's badge in the basket, and slipped away to the parking lot to drive home to catch that pregame show that he was certain would have already started by the time he got there. Thanks to that long-winded pastor and those people who found it necessary to take up so much time going to the rail for whatever reason, personal Savior, he muttered with disdain. Stuff and nonsense. <coughs> See, Deacon Estes sat in church Sunday after Sunday thinking about everything but what was being preached from the Word of God. He never cracked the Bible on his own initiative, never attended even one of the church's many classes or Bible studies, never prayed, never entered into a relationship with Jesus at all. He looked like a Christian. He spoke Christianese like a Christian, went to church like a Christian, but really never put any heart, any effort, any thought into actually being a disciple of Jesus. And so sadly on that day when Deacon Estes passed from this life, despite all the trappings of a Christian funeral and a burial and the engraving of a cross on his headstone, when Deacon Estes stood before Jesus that day, Jesus sent him away saying, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. 
And so we look at our scripture reading where Jesus, as he wraps up his talk about reaching God, is interrupted by some Pharisees. Pick it up in verse 31. It says, Jesus, just then some Pharisees came up and said, run for your life. Herod's on the hunt. He's out to kill you. And Jesus said, tell that fox that I've no time for him right now. Today and tomorrow, I'm busy clearing out the demons and healing the sick. The third day, I'm wrapping things up. Besides, it's not proper for a prophet to come to a bad end outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, killer of prophets, abuser of the messengers of God. How often I've longed to gather your children, gather your children like a hen, her brood safe under her wings. But you refused and turned away. And now it's too late. You won't see me again until the day you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jesus laments. A whole nation of people who didn't know enough to approach the rail and accept him as their personal savior. A nation of people who, like Deacon Estes, had better things to do than actually give themselves in worship to their God. They went through all the motions, but when presented with anything of truth and substance, they rejected it. They drove it away. They killed it. An entire nation of people who, when they finally realize who Jesus is, have missed the boat and the opportunity for salvation. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, is that the nation of people to which I belong? Are we as a nation any different than Israel? Are we a people who are concerned about the clock on the wall every Sunday and blissfully ignorant of who we are in Christ? When the invitation comes to approach the rail and accept Jesus, are we the one headed for the parking lot? Are we consumed with other activities rather than focusing our attention on getting through the narrow gate that leads to God? And I have to say, beloved, this Lenten season, I challenge you to examine your heart and really take stock of where you are with Jesus. Because what you do with Jesus determines where you spend eternity. You will live forever. Where will your home be? Will it be in Jerusalem? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How often I've longed to gather your children. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Why don't we stand for our final hymn this morning?